Hi everyone, welcome to Things I Never Said podcast. It is currently Sunday, August 16th, and with us are guests Hannah, Nicholas, and Tyler. We are your hosts, Beatrice and Wendy, and today we'll be discussing how our experiences influence our understanding of ourselves and of each other. Please note that this podcast may contain triggering and or sensitive topics. If you feel triggered or need a second to breathe, please take care of yourself first, and know that we've included resources in the description. Hi, my name is Hannah. I am 24 years old, and I typically work as a art production assistant on film and TV, and I'm currently living in Los Angeles. My name's Nick. I'm 27 years old. I'm a product manager working for an application security company in Culver City. I currently live in, in L.A. Hi, I'm Tyler. I am 28 years old, though I just had to do the math to check that. I am a computer engineer by major, but work in software QA, and I'm currently living in Long Beach. All right. Thanks, everyone. So to kick off our podcast, I guess I'll start with Nicholas. <laughs> um, can you share kind of how your community was like growing up? Uh, like I mentioned, uh, I grew up in LA. My dad, born and raised in Jakarta, Indonesia. So he- I grew up with a lot of uh, like Indonesian influence, loved uh, like Asian food. Uh, Indonesian food is uh, probably my favorite. My mom, she is Latina. So I, I grew up with uh, uh, like both uh, like Indonesian perspective and Latino perspective on things. Uh, another thing that uh, like strikes me from, from my childhood, my parents hosted foreign exchange students from around the world. There were a lot, um, in particular, from Japan, um, China. Uh, we've had a, a, a ton from like Switzerland, um, and actually, I uh, I learned how to use chopsticks from a foreign exchange student that was living with us. <laughs> oh, nice! Yeah. Do you um, do you interact with the um, foreign exchange students often growing up when you guys hosting? Yeah, um, <laughs> honestly, we probably annoyed them too much. Uh, me and my siblings. Uh, but yeah, they, they would always bring like gifts and stuff like that from um, like their countries. A lot of times they'd bring like boxes of like mochi if they were coming from like Japan or um, like chopsticks and uh, things like that. So I grew up in uh, in Santa Cruz County, which is uh, like central northern California. Predominantly white where I was, but there are a lot of neighboring cities with Mexican-Americans and Asian-Americans. As far as my high school, it, it was a pretty white high school. Um, I was very close to Silicon Valley, so there was a lot of wealth near me. So it was a pretty interesting place um, when you think about you know, where race comes in with class and everything. Again, my, my high school was predominantly white, but once I went to community college, um, about 30 minutes away, that's when I had a much more diverse school experience. We had a lot of um, Mexican-Americans, a lot of Chinese-Americans. And it, it just honestly, it felt a lot more diverse. And that was really, really cool. And now that I live in L.A., it was a lot more diverse. <laughs> so. Was there like a, was there any culture shock for you, you know, going from um, uh, going to community college? I mean, it's something that you notice, for sure. I mean, there were a few classes where, 
for the first time ever, I was the only white person in the room, which I found to be very, very interesting. That doesn't happen to me very often growing up or even here right now, whenever I go to work or anything like that. So that happened a few times and that was pretty cool. I wouldn't say it shocked me, but it, I definitely picked up on it. Yeah, definitely. Um, so Tyler, tell us a little bit about how you were growing up. Well, uh, my parents are from Virginia and Wisconsin. And I grew up in the canyons kind of between Silmar and Santa Clarita and have been in Southern California my entire life. And when I was a young kid up to about 22, I think, uh, my nearest neighbor was three miles away. So I didn't really have any influences from neighbors growing up. Um, I went to North Hollywood High School, which is predominantly Hispanic, and I was in the corner of the school for AP classes, which was predominantly Asian. So that was, I guess, when I had my first experience in diversity, but it just kind of seemed like normal people to me, so never really thought much of it. And... Growing up in with no neighbors, I uh, mostly played outside until I learned what video games were, and I've been doing that ever since. <laughs> That's a good origin story. <laughs> it's also how I learned that I liked computers and what I wanted to major in. Yeah, very nice. So all, all three of you two, for different reasons and different degrees, actually have a lot of uh, personal experiences with you know Asian culture what can we talk a little bit about what your impressions are um with Asian culture as well as you know specifically pertaining to mental health in Asian culture thinking about um like my experiences with uh, like mental health and uh, like how they compare to um, like the Asian culture I mentioned my dad Indonesian. He was born and raised there. The The impression that, that I get is that mental health is not as focused on as it is in um, like all, all of America. Um, it tends to be more like nonchalant, from my opinion. And um, like if people are feeling uh, like depressed or sad, usually that just means it's it's time to take a break and uh, that's about it. That's as far as the conversation goes. From my perspective, I think that mental health in the Asian community seems to be more of an afterthought and not talked about as much as it, as it should. Right. Now, uh, you mentioned your mom is uh, Hispanic, right? So do you see any difference between either parent treatment of health or are they more in align with each other? I, I think they're both in, in alignment in the sense that... Uh, like they, they both don't put uh, like so much emphasis on it. Um, so definitely alignment there. And uh, like we uh, grew up in like an upper, I'd say upper middle class neighborhood in LA. So a few of uh, like my uh, neighbors who were white, um, like one thing that I noticed is um, they tended to put more emphasis on um, like mental health and um, like even talking about like going to see like psychiatrists and like being open about like different medications that they're taking for like anxiety and things like that. So um, like that was all 
very different to me when I started first, when I first started hearing um, like some of my neighbors talking very openly about these things. Was, was that a, was that a shock to you when you first heard about it? A little bit. Um, just cause like, like growing up for me, it's just um, <laughs> like uh, my, my parents thing is like, they don't think that like ADD or ADHD exists. They think that like the child just needed needs to be spanked. But then um, like talking to like some of my neighbors and they're talking about like putting their kids on like different like types of medication and going to see psychiatrists. And so it was just, um, just different. When you started growing up and, you know, dealing with normal anxieties that comes with adulthood, was that a challenge having parents that, have those different opinions approaching mental health, whereas your other friends or family, like you said, are taking medication and seeing psychiatrists? Was that hard? I'd say that's still to be seen. Um, I think uh, like we're, we're in an interesting time right now, like in this COVID pandemic, where I am starting to like feel more like anxiousness. And I noticed that like, everyone is a little more like touchy, a little more sensitive. Um, so like having the mentality of like, oh, maybe it's time to just take a break or like recharge. I don't think it, very effective right now. I'd say um, it, it hasn't been like too much of a challenge yet, but the, the clock is ticking there. So I, I grew up in a house where I knew mental health was thing to consider like as soon as I was born and conscious <laughs> my my mom has an anxiety problem there's a lot of anxiety and depression that runs in my family whether it be panic disorder uh, general anxiety disorder and a little bit of PTSD too so I was pretty aware of it early on but it still hits you differently when you realize you also have it. Like, it's funny now, but <laughs> like the first panic attack I ever had, I thought I was having a heart attack and I almost called an ambulance. <laughs> Which would have been really expensive, so I'm glad I didn't do that. I just waited it out. <laughs> I, remember, I remember looking in the mirror, feeling like I couldn't breathe and like, I don't know if any of you guys get panic attacks, but there you get that like tunnel vision where you feel like you're slowly going to pass out. I was like, I don't think this is what a heart attack feels like, but I feel like I'm having a heart attack. And I just remember staring at myself until it went back to normal. I was like, oh, yeah, I think the difference is like the shooting pain on the left arm. That's what that's what I try to remember. It's like, do you have shooting pain on the left arm? <laughs> no. OK, you're fine. <laughs> before when I'm panicking and I'm like oh I'm definitely dying I should probably call somebody and then I don't because I'm like oh but that's expensive <laughs> <laughs> oh that's such a sad common our medical system USA number one <laughs> <laughs> so that's my background <laughs> yeah that that's a lot of people, when they have panic attack for the first time, um, have various, very similar experience. I actually just got a call from a friend a few days ago, and I have to find him in the city. And he was like, I put over. I think I'm dying. I'm like, you're not dying. It's fine. Like, I'll, I'll find you. Drink some water. 
you're like, I mean this in the kindest way, but please calm down. <laughs> <laughs> well, there, there's a little bit more, more words to that. Um, um, but yes, um, there's a lot of confusion, um, you know, the first time experience. Actually, that brings up interesting points. Like, um, if you don't have anyone teach you, you know, this is what this feels like. What's your guys' first experience? Uh, either witnessing or personally experience, you know, any mental health manifestation. And like, you know, like Hannah talked about the first time you were like, maybe I'm dying. And um, what are, you know, what's your guys' experience? Basically, you know, when we talk about physical health, you know, it's like, okay, if you um have a fever if you have these symptoms then you probably have a cold you probably have a flu so we are when we're growing up we were educated in in these ways so when we do have the symptoms even on things we never quite personal experience we have enough knowledge um to kind of know what's going on or make a make a semi-accurate assessment whereas if we don't have the mental health education which is why a lot of people, when they have anxiety attack, they think, oh, maybe there's something physically wrong with me because that wasn't part of a you know, normal conversation on a, day, on a regular basis. So my question is, um, did you guys have these you know, education about mental health symptoms growing up? And if not, do you remember, like, when did you first become aware of... of um, when when did this knowledge first come to your awareness? So I, I I like vaguely remember like a class or two in high school. I think we had to take like a like quote unquote like health class as part of like the high school curriculum, and um, like I remember like hearing for the first time there that like the uh, some symptoms of depression are reclusiveness um like trouble getting out of bed things like that so like that that's like my first uh that's probably the first time that i've heard like the symptoms of depression i don't think i've experienced it um like too much firsthand uh like myself um but um it does seem like uh, now that everyone is uh, like on edge and um, like, to be quite frank, everything is, um, like, pretty chaotic these days. It does seem like uh, more and more of my friends are experiencing some of these symptoms. I'm not entirely sure how to answer this question because it sure seems like uh, if anybody in my family or close circle of friends had these symptoms they hid them quite well and even growing up it was uh i didn't really have it, this come up in health class or i didn't get a talking to about it so oh i don't know if my parents ever had to deal with anything like this but the only time i ever had what i would call an episode is when I came home from my last final at college. I wasn't sure if I was going to graduate or not. I was on 30 hours of not sleeping 
and I had a slow motion car accident on the way home, but car accident nonetheless. So I just kind of cracked under the stress when I got home, but that's really the only time that I was upset and it evaporated after I found out that I did indeed graduate. I'm still not entirely sure I would recognize these symptoms. I do have a, I guess, friend of a friend who does have anxiety problems. And one time when we were doing an escape room, they surfaced because it was kind of a serial killer's basement uh, escape room. So we did press the panic button there. And all I did was uh, try not to exacerbate the situation. So I tried not to crowd the person and we, we did what it says to do on her wristband. Yeah, no, that's great. Like, you know, in these situations, a lot of times that is exactly what you're supposed to do. You sound like you handled it really well. Um, now, going back to what we were talking about earlier, um, Tyler, I know you also grew up with a lot of uh, Asian American friends. What was your experience with Asian culture, I guess, growing up? Well, I'd certainly say that their parents are, and everybody in general, but parents especially, were very direct with what they had to say. Sometimes when I was just over visiting, there'd be a crosshouse shouting match about homework and how it was or wasn't done, for instance, or uh, poor grades, or just a celebration of someone, someone's accomplishment, uh, playing tennis, winning a tennis tournament or something. There would be a big party or gotten to the first choice of college some prestigious university party for that. But the one that I felt was more common was certainly the, you didn't get an A plus on this course. You're an idiot. Was that being, was that being like out loud or spoken? Yes, it was. Or, uh, commenting on, um, you eat so much, you're going to get fat. <laughs> no one wants to look at that. <laughs> oh my god. Um, were some of the ones that I was a bit familiar <laughs> with. None of this was directed at me. I was just kind of a silent observer, wondering if mm -hmm. uh, I should uh, if I should even say anything. Um, mm -hmm. I just mostly stayed out of the way. I uh, didn't really want to become the focus of the attention in scenarios like this, so I just kind of listened. But nobody wanted to, nobody seemed to bring it up afterwards. So I always assumed everybody was doing just fine. Mm -hmm. There um, was one thing that I thought was awkward, uh, someone that I don't really have contact with anymore but their parents didn't want them to go out with or didn't want them in uh, boy girl relationships in high school because that would interfere with their academic <laughs> performance mm -hmm. and then mm -hmm. 
You can do that once you're in college, but once you're in college, same thing. No, 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 no boys in college. That will uh, interfere with academic performance. Uh, maybe after you get a job, but then after you get a job, it was immediately, well, when are you getting married and having kids? I mean, you're moving a little fast there. I, I, I kind of got to learn all of these things that I never learned in high school and college because no boys allowed. <laughs> I, I don't really have contact with this person anymore. I just remember that story. Mm-hmm. So I, I can't tell you how they turned out um, <laughs> uh, currently, but I, I do remember that being a thing in high school and college and mm-hmm. for the year or two after college that I still had contact with them. Yeah, it's pretty a systematic child-rearing process. In those situations, I just, I guess I tried my best to stay quiet because I felt like I was going to nervously laugh or something and that was going to make everything worse. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just curious, Tyler, how were your parents then compared to um, your friend's parents? Like, did they comment on how, like, typically Asian parents are more direct or... Like, how, how is the different interaction between you and your parents and what you observed from your friends? My parents, uh, they while they would certainly be upset if I brought home a crappy grade, uh, no one would call me idiot or... Um, they, they weren't thrilled with anything below a B. I mean, they... They expected me to be able to do better than a C, but for topics, say, English and history, where some of the teachers at my schools were well-known, this is the only class that you're taking, and you better give this class 100%, because I'm not a college professor, but I wish I was. So they... um, Certainly expected you to put in the time, and those were already my not strong subjects, and I tended to try less hard. So, for example, in my English class in high school, my pop quiz percentage was about 12%, and for my history class, it was about 8%, or maybe I've got those switched, but in any case... They weren't thrilled when I brought home crummy grades or C's in high school. Or, well, they, they started accepting C's when I was in college. But they uh, it was mostly, you've got to try harder and focus on your studies. Stop procrastinating. They, they would try to steer me rather than in the event that my friend brought home a less than acceptable grade, shall we say. He was, what's wrong with you? Are you stupid? (laughs) And uh, there was some perfectionism there, which kind of, well, they wanted him to get a 4.0 GPA at a community college and then transfer for his last two years. And every time he didn't get a 4.0, they would transfer him to another community college, which led to a long drawn out process of attending every community college in the greater LA area before they finally told him just, just transfer probably weighed on him though. It never, he never said anything about that. It's uh, I feel like it. And I've never voiced this 
to him, so don't do it. Um, but I feel like it probably just sucked for him, and it certainly delayed where he could be in life right now because of that. Um, and Hannah, you were saying that you also um, observed this with some friends. I'm just curious how your parents also maybe have um, potentially talked to you about your friends or like how have they talked to you when like talking about grades or just like mental health or things that you're experiencing in life? <laughs> I was a neurotic little Hermione Granger in high school. So, <laughs> you know, they didn't really have much to to shame. I, I did all of that myself. Um, oh. My mom actually begged me to to drop a class that was just killing me as I was like crying at 3am trying to figure out this chemistry lab homework assignment. Mm -hmm. Mom's like, Hannah, just drop it. And I'm like, you can't tell me what to do. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. Very determined. (laughs) Yeah. I would like to say that I got a C in chemistry and walked away with a smile on my face because at least it was over. But (laughs) I think because I was so dedicated already, my parents were a little relaxed on the grades. Uh, My mom was a teacher at the same high school, but, you know, her being a teacher, I worried that that might make it more difficult. But honestly, I mean, she saw how much I was destroying myself. She's like, all right, (laughs) she'll she'll get it done. (laughs) It's interesting because I... um, One of my close friends in high school, they're white, but they were, they were very, very strict because my friend, the oldest was, you know, self-reliable, had good grades, did her thing, no problem. But younger brothers had ADC and they had difficulty in school sometimes. And the parents had little to no patience for any of that and there was so much family stress that it kind of just made it worse and that's when you know I would hear similar things like you know stop being an idiot stop being stupid and which really do affect a child growing up because then they start to believe it and I mean unfortunately I mean watching the kids grow up it just got worse and worse but I'm not in contact with any of those people now, so hopefully they're doing better now. And my my first boyfriend was Chinese American, and it was interesting because he he got a lot of pressure to have really good grades. But again, his parents kind of backed off around high school when they saw how dedicated he was to his studies too. I mean, but he was also a genius; he got an A in everything. <laughs> like he worked hard, but I'd always joke that he didn't even try. <laughs> he just that kid understands everything. But his older sisters had a much more strict upbringing. I mean, I remember being like seventeen, eighteen, and I was over at their house, and the sisters were in their twenties, and they still hadn't dated. Like they were just focusing on college and everything. I don't know if they were allowed to date at the time. I, I don't remember, so I don't want to assume anything, but I thought that that was really interesting. But, you know, my boyfriend and I were dating the crap out of each other. <laughs> um, 
their their lives were solely focused on school and family and all that. And I I mean I wasn't close to them, so I don't know if that was their choice or more how they were raised. But so I I saw a lot of strict parents pretty much everywhere I looked, and I think a lot of that was you know because uh, again being really close to Silicon Valley, we had a lot of parents with. A lot of money and a lot of high pressure, high status jobs. Like everyone was, you know, bragging about where their kid goes to college and stuff like that. So I think there was stress everywhere. But I mean, we had so many moms and dads just constantly bagging down on their kids if they didn't have A's or if they didn't get into such and such college. And then when they did get A's or they did get in those schools, that's all that parent would talk about. And I think it went a little past the normal, I'm just proud of my kid kind of attitude because it was definitely a status thing. I think that for um, like Asians that are being raised by parents that are like first generation American or just coming to America for the first time, like I, I think they're uh, like, they tend to get a lot of the brunt of it. I, I think um, like one thing though, um, like growing up with a lot of different like perspectives and different backgrounds, like I, I think that's helpful. And as I don't as time progresses and people are being exposed to to more backgrounds and more stories and experiences, um, and even listening to podcasts like this, um, like I, I think it's helpful. So that, like I don't know, like you, you guys were telling stories about how like your friends were in very strict households and. Um, like their parents were very strict on them and stuff like that. So, yeah, I just just knowing that not everything is like that, and that there are like mm-hmm. different perspectives out there is is helpful. What I've noticed myself, I, I mean, again, I'm I'm not Asian, so it's just something that I've picked up on my own observation. But I feel like what you were starting to get into. Nick, is that, you know, they get the brunt of it if they're first generation or even if their parents are first generation American because, at least from what I've seen, there's that pressure to uphold, you know, your parents' culture in addition to the American culture that you're going to see and experience growing up in school and making friends and getting jobs. I think there's that identity pressure, like, you know, which do you identify with more? And I don't, I don't imagine that it's that uncommon to where they feel like they have to choose. And maybe that choice changes over time as they grow up. I mean, I I can only imagine how stressful that would be. I remember my, my ex, he was starting to learn Mandarin in college because he felt he felt like responsible, like he needed to be able to speak the language and, you know, he couldn't speak with a lot of his extended family and that bothered him. So he started tackling it and, oh my God, it sounds so hard. <laughs> but, you know, he, he felt that lack of connection. And so, you know, he wanted to embrace that side. Whereas I have other Asian friends where they get, insulted if people assume that they can speak mandarin or japanese or whatever it is you know i I think it's interesting because you know some people feel like they need to hold on to that culture that their parents were brought up with and some don't 
and then it's hard because no matter what, I'm sure there's a struggle of feeling like you 100% belong, especially when, you know, times like this, when racism or uh, the idea of racism existing is still being challenged, unfortunately, and things like that, it's, it's got to be really difficult. Definitely, there's a lot of um, like identity crisis that Kenna said about, you know, because Asian Americans so broad, you know, like Nick's dad is from like Indonesia and Beatrice from Taiwan, but like they're like they technically both fall under the Asian umbrella, but their culture is extremely different, and I think there's a lot of identity confusion both within the Asian community group as well as like external from from other the way that other people perceive how they perceive the group. Is being categorized under an Asian American or an Asian umbrella um, frustrating? Um, I think in Asian American like this umbrella like there's East Asians right and they tend to be like they tend to have like higher paying jobs and better economic status. And we have, you know, Southeast Asians, which uh, they tend to be overlooked, underrepresented. And, you know, then we have the Filipino uh, Americans and pe- some people like, oh, you're not Asian because of the Hispanic, Hispanic influence. So there's like within the Asian community, there's a lot of uh identity um not so much conflicts just differences and the issue comes in is because when people say asians a lot of them they're picturing east asians but the struggles of the east asian is very different from you know other groups there are a lot of asian americans that have very low income jobs they you know but if you lump them all together then different needs are not be addressed accordingly. In general, Asian Americans tend to a lot of times feel like they are quote-unquote others, you know, they don't belong because they tend to, people assume that they're not from here, even though like some of them, they don't speak their, their you know, family language and they don't, um, they're very much American. And it's, it's the feeling of being exclus- excluded from their own environment, just because, just based on what people think they're supposed to be. I mean, it's, it goes beyond just the topic of this podcast, but it would help if people focus on the aspects of the individual rather than the perceived group of that individual. Yeah, exactly. You know, whether if we look at this racially or you know, geographically, or like in, in in every way, you know, it's like, oh, even if just occupation, like tech people are like this, or, you know, artists are like that, like. BMW <laughs> drivers don't use their turn signal. You know? Right. So, <laughs> so I think every time when when anyone is being generalized, there, there tend to be frustration and uh like you feel like you're not seen for based on your own individual experience like like tyler said i'm curious for you know both um i mean all of you really talked about how you have um experience with um with your asian friends who are in a community and um whether if it's standing there watching yelling berating their kids and it's very uncomfortable for 
everyone really. So how my I'm curious like how would you react if you are in that situation and how do you want things to work out differently? Well, I mean, if I was the one being shouted at, I would probably react in the wrong way, assuming de-escalation is what you're aiming for. When someone shouts at me, my response is generally to fire back if I think I did my best or if I'm not doing anything that I view as wrong. I think I would end up escalating the situation, though that also might be because I never really had that situation as a child. Thankfully, my parents had the patience of saints. When I went off to college, while I'd never been directly told about mental health, my parents, uh, one of the last things they told me before I stepped out of the car to go to my dorm in freshman year was, if you need anything, anything at all, call us. You can tell us anything. So I had my rock to fall back on. Everybody needs a rock. I personally tend to be uh, like non-confrontational, which uh, like sometimes I don't like. <laughs> um, but I, I imagine that like one way that could be um, like a good way to approach uh, a scenario like this, if it happened to me, just give give some time for um, like this situation to de-escalate, figure out what it is about um, like the other person's approach that you didn't like, and then try to have a conversation with them about it. I'm not saying that they'd always be open or receptive, but yeah, it's just, just one thing that comes to mind. <laughs> yeah, for, for me, it, it kind of depends on who's screaming at me. Um, there have been times where I've definitely screamed back. There have been other times where I shut down. I've got certain family members where if they were to berate me with judgments or opinions, I just wait for them to run out of words because I just don't have a voice in that moment. And other people, sometimes you just know that you have to take a pause and walk away, feel your feelings and back to it. I mean, I would say for anyone who's in a household where they're being screamed at or judged or anything close to that, like what everyone else has been saying so far, it's really important to find someone to reach out to. I think it's good to have a friend who will literally just sit there and listen and offer their input if you want it, or if you just want to vomit on someone, then let them get puked on you know it's a beautiful thing I've gone to therapy and I've leaned on friends and on family you know sometimes you need different things for different problems and I know for a fact that I do well with therapy but I was also raised to think it's normal because my mom's been going to therapy since I can remember and so for me it wasn't that weird of a transition so if anyone is ever curious about it, I would look into it, but just know that it's kind of like dating, but without the romance, you got to find the right person. <laughs> I guess my question, you know, being a white person, what, what can we do to make our friends, you know, feel more understood or comfortable to talk about any of these things? Because I feel like at the end of the day, it's important to talk about it 
and to be able to have open discussions like this because I mean that's going to be I mean in my opinion I, I feel like that's going to be the best way to help one another is to hear and understand because I wouldn't have known about any of this stuff without having friends with different backgrounds. I would say you know what you mentioned be, being that friend that you know that that safe space for someone is the key and practically you know if you witness something that's like not quite usual like parent yelling at the kid or you know they're being under a lot of pressure for something um it's really great to checking you know with with your friend be like hey like just want to checking how you know you you okay you know how you're feeling because if if we have people who really are from very strict household like that probably no one has asked them that question you know like are you okay like how are you feeling like those are not those are not very usual <laughs> have been the one that start that dialogue would be extremely comforting even if they don't want to talk at the moment because like it's probably embarrassing for them as well but that question shows that like this is a safe space like you care about them you don't like a lot of asian culture this is a generalization of course but things are like individual are not separate from family right and that's why talking about individual different feelings are very difficult because you don't just think about oh i'm sad i need to talk you you think I'm sad, but if I talk about it, then people are gonna have this impression of my family, and you know, like I'm discrediting everything, you know, all the effort that my parents went through, and like it's it's slightly bigger than than just how I'm feeling. But like you said, like you gotta be able to start somewhere to have that space and to offer yourself as that space where you care about them as individual would be extremely comforting and and it really makes a huge difference that is a really good point i think that's probably one of the hardest things about opening up to someone is you think you know if you need to vent about a certain person or a problem that you're automatically throwing them under the bus of any potential of being a good person when in fact it's just this particular issue i mean that person could be garbage who knows but you don't necessarily want someone to think, oh, that person's parent is complete garbage when in that moment you just need someone to go, I'm sorry, that really sucks. Exactly. Yeah, and oftentimes, like, especially if this is your home environment, you, you don't have perspective. Sometimes people don't think, oh, my friend witnessed this, like, that's embarrassing. Sometimes, like, oh, my friend thinks I'm trash too, you know? And so have that like show that it's not the case show that like you know getting b plus like does not discredit you as a person like even if you fail school you know don't go through the whole education it doesn't discredit your value like that's sometimes people don't have that perspective you know that was hannah Nicholas and Tyler. This was the Things I Never Said podcast, and we were discussing our experiences with mental health and the Asian American community. Thanks again for joining us, and we'll see you for the next episode.